Welcome to the Inside the Eight podcast with your hosts, Jamie Monroe and Colleen McGarity. This podcast is dedicated to all things women's lacrosse. We will break down top games of the week, discuss coaching strategies, and lacrosse recruiting. We will even bring in some of the game's top coaches and players as special guests. And now, here are your hosts, Jamie and Colleen. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Inside the Eight podcast, where we talk all things women's lacrosse. I'm here with Colleen McGarry, head coach of, of Penn Charter and director of Triple H, and uh, really excited to talk across with you guys. How's it going, Colleen? It's going good. Uh, it seemed like the rain stopped over here in Philadelphia. I'm excited because high school lacrosse started, so yes, excited for the days now. Now that we get to get out there on the field. So now you're, you're out there now, you've got tryouts going on. Um, mm-hmm. How do you organize your tryouts when, you know, you kind of know who your best players are, but you're really hoping to find some kids you didn't know, but you want to make it fair and you want to accomplish moving in the direction of trying to compete for games all at one time. Yeah, it's a tough, tough thing to do in a short period of time, but um, I divide them up in their grades to start just so they're like in the groups are grade specific. So I'm not, picking and choosing those who I know played well last year, giving the opportunity for the freshmen not to have, um, you know, just to have a clean slate and just to compete against the people in their grade. And then they better show amongst those individual groups. And then you start to kind of change the groups from there. So today I'll base the groups based upon the past two days. So trying to put like a lower group, a higher group, a middle group, a group where I'm trying to choose if they're going to be on varsity. Are they going to be swing players? Are they going to be JV players? It's going to be one group that my coaching staff will really focus on to evaluate, to make those decisions. And then we have a group that we know is going to make varsity. That's been like our stars the past couple of years. And um, we scrimmaged a lot yesterday just to give them the free reign to play. And they, you know, in case I didn't do any drills that didn't show someone's specific talents, then I, did a little bit of scrimmage so to let them kind of play, not have like such rigorous, um, you know, requirements on what exactly to do and show some speed and show some IQ. And today we're going to do a little fitness test, which they hate. And then we'll just do some one-on-ones and some small sided drills. And I'll hope to have the teams by tonight. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so when do you play your first game and how are you going to prepare between now and then? Yeah, so got a lot to do in a short period of time. In college, you have like a month and a half before your first game, typically. So it's funny when you're in high school, everything's shortened. But um, we play on March 9th against Shipley. And so once I make my team tonight, we basically have a week and a half. And I'm going to just kind of divide it up. We're going to go offense two to three days, defense two to three days, transition. And then leading into the couple of days before the game, we'll kind of put it all together in hopefully more of a systematic, sharper, faster pace, you know? So, but we're going to do a lot of learning, a lot of film. A lot of fun. One of the things that I really like to do um, is figure out kind of what I want to do when I want to have something installed by. And yes. then count backwards from there. Because you're not going to have it all installed by March 9th. But you can say, no. okay, by March 9th, I need to have a base defense uh, you know, a base offense, maybe another look or two on offense, you know, Ryan Claire, whatever it is that you feel like you got to do, plus all your skill work. And, exactly. then, 
And then you've got, you know, in a week or two after that, all right, I want to have my zone defense in. And you can kind of plan it because the problem is if you just take it day by day, you spend too much time on one thing and then you like never get to it. For sure. No, that's exactly kind of what we do. And then you also have to keep incorporating what you learn in the beginning as you move on. So right. then it's like you're adding on the plays or adding on a new defense while keeping like fine tuning that original motion offense or that original base defense. So, you know, you just got to make sure that they're really zoned in and in the, in the moment for that two and a half hours or however long you have to take it all in. Cause if they miss something, then the next day doesn't even make it worth it. So that's our kind of our motto is to win the day. So just to get better every single day, don't worry about like two weeks from now, we have to get better at this specific play or this specific defense today. And if we don't, we're, we're not getting better. I love that. Win the day. Yeah. All right, let's transition into some um, just discussion on college lacrosse, some of the games we've watched, some of the things that these uh, teams and players and coaches are doing. And let's kick it off with the Colorado-Michigan game. Yeah, I got to watch that game. Um, it, it's an interesting game for me. Obviously, I, as you say, I always watch my friends, but I used to coach at Colorado with Hannah, and now Hannah's the head coach at Michigan. So it's a battle, and there's still some girls on Colorado's team that um, I recruited or helped in the part of recruitment process and um, obviously close with both staffs. But Michigan came to play that day. They turned it on. They were going – you know, full throttle, crushing Colorado zone. I think they went and went up like 8-2 to two or 10-2. They were crushing them the whole entire time. Um, Colorado had some spurts of coming back, but I'd say the biggest highlight was that Hannah's zone offense worked that we chatted about with him last week. <laughs> yeah. What were they doing? Different. Um, there was a mixture, actually. I was interested. They kind of did really, really drive hard with the ball through the seams you know some people kind of stop and then pop out and pass the ball they kind of continued that drive sometimes and just went right in and scored and Colorado seemed to be used to people driving in them hedging or moving over in the zone and then moving the ball Michigan would kind of pop back out and then kind of go right through um so they drove a lot um they scored a lot on drives and then they also were just really really good at having um three on one side, one behind, three on the other side, and just really mirroring each other, shifting, um, shallow cuts, being in the right exact spot, like where they would just take a little step, and there was a lot of quick stick goals, quick easy feeds right up the – Caitlin Muir played awesome. She fed the ball so well, just right to girls' sticks, whether they were open by one stick, um, sticks length, and they were able to put it in the back of the net. Their shooting percentage was awesome. They shot the ball very, very well. So the, I, want, I want to ask you one more question on this about the way that they were sort of getting through those gaps. Yeah. Um, were they doing it sort of in a slick slicing way? Because you can't really long dodge against a zone and get through a gap because they will see it coming. But when you start to get to this point where they think you're going to be passed off and then especially mm -hmm. if you fake a pass. If you can fake a pass, you can like make your own defender who's passing you off, go ahead and give you off and the girl who's going to pick you up oftentimes will be playing you for the next pass and you can slice right through that seam. Did you see some of that or how did they get through? Exactly. Like they weren't like grabbing the ball, squaring up, backpedaling, and then going right at the D. They were catching ready to move and then really just like hittle hesitations, face dodges, slipping right through there. And they just 
they played with confidence. They were like, I'm going through and no one's stopping me. And they were able to have that shiftiness where they weren't running right into a defender. They yeah. were, you know, taking one step left or right. And I don't think Colorado has been used to people dodging so hard at them in the zone and yeah. continuing. So it was something that they, you know, Colorado has been known for their defense. Their zone defense has been solid. They played well against Florida two weeks ago. And, um, no, they usually offensive teams come down and they you pick it apart with passing the ball and moving it to the backside. So I think this was just something different that Michigan really brought it to them and dodged hard while also having in their back pocket, if I'm not going to dodge, we know exactly how to move the ball and hit the right spot to the girl that's slipping in the middle. Yeah. Um, open gaps. And, and I think sometimes that can happen. The, the, the speed dodges and, and the real aggressive dodges can happen really nicely when you swing the ball and the defense is kind of recovering and you've yeah. got a bad approach. I bet that was partly how it was too. 100%. And then they're, they're uh, crease people. Caitlin Muir, I mentioned her again, really had a couple of nice dodges just from wide angle, take them underneath. There was no slide across because the other crease person moved that person on the other side or they were handing someone off while the other girl was dodging and she kind of went right in there with ease. Cool. All right, let's talk about the um, Northwestern Syracuse game. This was yeah. a Saturday night game, uh, fun game to watch. Um, and um, give me some of your thoughts on that. That was a really fun game to watch. It looked like a great atmosphere at Northwestern in their indoor facility. Um, it was an amazing game. It was actually closer than the score depicted up until like the 10 minute mark. I think me and you were discussing it was tied. It was 10-10 up until maybe 10 minutes to play in the game. I think it was a one or two goal game with five minutes left. There. Okay, yeah. Then I mean, it was crazy how close it was back and forth. Really exciting. Very fast paced. Um, we discussed yesterday, I think Northwestern just a little looked a little frantic. They kind of jammed it in the middle sometimes, rushed passes. Didn't look like their finesse selves. Still athletic, going hard. No doubt about effort all over the field, but just – they weren't really executing and finishing the plays. Um, really hitting that first cutter in the middle sometimes rather than waiting for the, the best opportunity where on the other end, I thought Syracuse's offense looked awesome. They had that three-man weave, you know, from up top, lots of flips, great spacing, dodging hard and finishing. Yeah, I did enjoy watching. I have enjoyed watching Syracuse play this year and they ran that offense last year too, but Mm -hmm. For those of you who haven't really seen it, it's pretty neat. It's like a three out top with four down low with two stacks, but they have yeah. a flow to it. So they'll do some kind of a pass and pick and flip out top. And when you're kind of done with your pick or your flip or your pass, you, you, you cut the middle and then two new players kind of fill. And it creates this really cool motion. It's actually um, – I just did a uh, little video on it in our uh, – in our women's coaches training. So anybody who uh, wants to do that, you can, there is a seven day free trial. You guys could check it out, but, but the offense is really cool. Now you really, you need to have a few lefties to run. That. Yes. I'm so excited for my high school because we have two lefties that I think this offense could work really, really well. Um, and it just gets them in a really nice flowing motion too. I just thought Syracuse just did a good job of really knowing when to attack, when to hit the, you know, the two-man game, pick and roll, when to dodge, when, you know, when to give each other space. They really start – they can read each other very, very well in that offense. Yeah, I agree. When to flip, when to fake flip. And also, like, when one, when one player carries it after they receive it, you know, and two, two girls are kind of exiting, mm -hmm. it, it's an ISO. 
Yeah, for sure. With, with really difficult slides because it's going to be shooting space a lot when you try to slide to somebody who's in the middle of the field and you're all down low, stacked. Mm -hmm. um, and there's so much movement in motion. It's not like some of these offenses where, you know, let's get one dodger over here and six over here. That's pretty easy to, to kind of slide off of. I, I feel like the movement is difficult for a defense. And the spacing, they, I was mentioning to you yesterday, they do it from outside the 12, so they get that speed and that momentum to get into the motion where it's not as – I mean, it makes it very difficult for the defense to, like, jump a double team or see the slide because they're so spread out and they're trying to just stop the ball carrier as well because they're athletic enough. If you don't even put the pressure on the ball carrier, that person's just going to go too. And there are so many little wrinkles within this, whether it's your fake flips, whether it's yes. seals, whether it's picking away for a low player in the mm -hmm. stack, or whether it's kind of like a draft cut or X cut, where a low player in the stack just cuts off one of the girls that's kind of clearing through. Um, there, honestly, there's, there's really cool stuff. But one thing that Syracuse did that was nice, too, is they changed it up, and they attacked from behind mm -hmm. and had really nice – motions where they would have sort of three players down low where they would kind of carry up throw back through x um while four players out top were cutting and picking and slipping um and it was really interesting and, and cool what were your thoughts on that yeah no i thought it was i thought they did a really good balance of going from up top going from behind they get the middies that eventually cycle through behind as well to get looks from back there so there's really no way to like perfectly scout this team they can attack you from all different angles and they're very very skilled they have great hands and you really can kind of score off a dive score off a feed they can kind of do it all from that type of motion for sure uh as it relates to the comment you made about getting the middies behind it seemed like they had two attack of the three players behind two of them were attackers that kind of stayed back there and the third one was a rotating player that gave a nice little motion because you know how when you run like a three behind four out top, sometimes it almost feels stagnant. Yes. But if you're able to like switch out who some of those players are while keeping your best feeders behind, it's great. Right. Look. No, it was awesome. Yeah, it was a great game all around. I mean, I just think they definitely probably want to – Northwestern definitely wants to rematch against them. They're going to be okay. thinking about that game. They might get that. Yeah. Later in the show, we've got Katrina Dowd, the associate head coach and offensive coordinator at UNC. Um, so let's talk about that game. UNC really looked good against Maryland. They looked awesome. Uh, I mean, they are athletic and fast and just very, very skilled. Scotty Rose Grounty had an amazing game. She had six goals, just looked like a killer out there. I mean, you have Ortega and Hogue who are just amazing, up like coming from behind on the wings. They just are so crafty with their sticks. It's fun to watch. Um, and they really stuck it to Maryland. It was kind of crazy to see that type of score. It hasn't been like that in years. I don't even know when the last time that happened. They did. And it was two, two defenses playing primarily man-to-man, -man, which was kind mm -hmm. of fun to watch. Gave us some yes. really good opportunities to watch dodging, which Katrina is going to go into depth on all the dodges. But what were your sort of thoughts on the way Carolina was dodging? Um, I love the way it attacked um, from behind. So they did a lot of top dodges in the first half, and then they made some adjustments and really, really um, utilized the crease play. And Katrina is such an amazing coach and really crafty with the crease play. So I'm sure she had a lot to do with um, the style they were using back there. But they, similar to the way we talked a couple weeks about um, ago about Stony Brook, really, really dodging hard from directly behind the net and getting that defender tripped up. Using some hesitations, they'd make a 
hard, hard crease roll, hesitate, go again with the spacing to dodge. So you have to give it up to all the other six players that don't have the ball that are really moving to create that space and that almost easy shots. There weren't many slides happening um, on Maryland defense to make it difficult for the North Carolina girls to get shots off. That's typically Maryland's MO is are very, very good 1v1 defenders. So they don't slide that much. So they don't create offense. So they like to just, you know, play that one-on-one -on -one defense and let them take care of their job. North Carolina did a very good job exploiting that and really um, showing those ISO type plays from behind. So it was fun to see. So Carolina played, seemed like kind of like a two behind with five out top when the ball was behind. And then if it kicked up top, you know, they would have dodging opportunities. They did some wing dodging. It was funny because Maryland actually slid early sometimes on yeah. dodges, particularly to their lefty. But then everywhere else, you're right. I mean, Maryland just like is going to make you beat them one-on-one. -on -one. Try not to slide unless there's like a double opportunity or it's late and they can kind of get a late collapse. And I think that's right. kind of the way they do it. And I think it's actually a pretty smart way to play defense because when you start flying around too much in man-to-man, -man, I just think like there's just wide open defense. No, yeah, they, they do a great job of just fundamentally good, strong defense. And I love it because they harp on being a strong one-on-one -on -one defender. You can't rely on your slide coming. Um, yes, they do slide and – you know, specific spots. I'm sure there's specific people they might slide a little bit earlier on and, you know, they'll have their game plan going into that game, but they typically are just your standard, you know, fundamentally strong 1v1 defending team. And North Carolina did a very good job off ball, I think, creating the spacing for ISO plays to happen. Um, we talked a little bit with Katrina later on, but there wasn't many assisted goals. It was scored a lot, primarily on eight meters. They did a great job scoring off their eight meters and scoring off the ISO plays on, on Dodgers from behind top wings going at them hard. Yeah. Well, and I guess if the team's not going to slide much and make it a one-on-one -on -one game, you know, you're probably not going to have as many assisted goals. Exactly. Um, the next game I want to talk about is Hopkins versus Penn. I got to watch the first half of that game only, but um, really impressed watching Penn super athletic. Um, they run a fair amount of two man game also. And they also had a really stout, um, uh, zone defense, kind of more like a rover type of defense, kind of like how USC plays. Um, okay. And Hopkins got some pretty good looks, but like you said last week, they struggled a little bit against the zone. Maybe they did a little bit against this time. Interesting. Yeah, I love watching Penn. Um, I've, you know, I'm in their backyard, so I've got to see a fair amount of their games. And I love um, listening to the way Karen Corbett coaches their defense. She, they're always a very, very good defensive team. So I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on like just their, that defense that they were playing and what they did against Hopkins. Yeah, well, they just packed it in. And, you know, they basically had two base girls, two elbow, um, one in the middle, and then, and then two out top. So it was kind of a four across the eight. But it was yeah. super packed in. And it's funny because you feel like when it's packed in like that, you know, you should have such an easy time feeding cutters. Mm -hmm. uh, but they really jam it up. And when you, get, when you get close enough, they will start to put pressure on you. They just don't push out. Kind of the way Syracuse is, you know, they really pressure you in there. Like Stony Brook yeah. pressures you in their zone. USC plays it, generally plays it a little bit more soft, although sometimes behind they pressure. Penn seemed to play it pretty soft. Um, but, but, it, but that packed in action is just difficult when they right. get good at picking up the cutters. That's great. I'm interested. I'm hoping to get to one of their games coming up here soon. So they're always a very strong, solid team. Yeah, it was fun to watch them.
The other team that I only watched a little bit of, but I got to give a shout out. So one of my, one of my high school teammates who also I was a teammate in college. It's pretty fun. We played at Moses Brown School, Quakers. Yeah. And um, the other Quakers. And uh, Brown University. But his daughter, Kari Bonanno, uh, is a star at Princeton. And I got a chance to watch a little bit of Princeton UVA. Um, and uh, so a little shout out to Kari. Noticed since she was a little kid and she's really developed into a fine player. Have you seen Princeton she's play yet? Awesome player. I love Kari. I got to watch her play at the U19 tryouts last year and she was just fun to watch. She stands out right away. Totally. So, um, okay, let's turn the conversation towards recruiting. And really, folks, uh, there's not a lot to do recruiting-wise right now because college coaches are worried about winning games more than they're worried about your daughters. But there's a lot to think about in terms of planning for summer. And I think a lot of people, they just they get this list of stuff. It's kind of like a coach when you plan for your season. It's like, all right, I want to do this, 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 this. And once you look at it all, you got to cut it in half. And then that's about as much as you're going to be able to do. Uh, what are your thoughts about that for people planning summer? Yeah. I mean, my biggest piece of advice is just to worry about yourself and not what everyone else is doing. You're going to hear the one player on your club team or high school team that's going to every single camp and playing for every single team and just like never has a break. Um, I would suggest you don't do that. You need some time to relax and also get your body ready for the next weekend and also get better. So just, you know, sit down, plan out your schedule that you're not overloading. You shouldn't have like a camp, a camp, a tournament in one week. All right. And there needs to be a balance of, all right, I can go to a one or two day camp. Maybe I have two to three days to reflect, get better. What I do good, what did I do good and what do I need to get better at from the camp and then bring that to your weekend tournament. Um, but you should not be overdoing it because you're only going to get more tired, you know, throughout the whole entire summer. And then you're not going to be playing your best when it matters. So I just, you know, look at the summer schedule as like a, a training. Like I need to be at my peak performance the whole entire time. I can't be peaking in June and then going down. Right. You should, you definitely have an opportunity to be better and it's important to be better from, you know, the June, 14th tournament till mm -hmm. you know mid-atlantic at the end i mean you, you have the opportunity to get better and you need to do it question is how are you going to do that and, and unfortunately tournaments isn't really the way because yeah how many shots are you going to get in an average game in a tournament right i mean Eight, you two, don't care five, so know if you want the actual answer yeah yeah you don't probably get like five or six um if you're shooting a lot honestly i think tournaments are a great way for college coaches to see okay that player looks like they can compete they look like they have potential I like the way they hold themselves I like their attitude I want to work with them so you're not really going to blow a coach out of the water unless you have this like unbelievable game and they're like yes I love this kid it's usually like your top top college across prospect but um you're more getting a sense of, all right, I want to work with this kid and now I want to get them to my camp. And then when you get to that camp, you better crush it. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to worry about like, yes, you need, you can't be making 800 mistakes at your one game. They're going to come watch, but you just need to do something right. Work hard, run hard, show the potential to get them to come want to see you again or work with you again. Right. And the thing is, is that these tournaments are, it's like what, uh, 18, 20 minute halves. Yeah. You know, you've got, let's just say if your team is fair, you've got six attackers, you know, hopefully exactly. that's right. Or whatever. And so you're going to, you're going to play for, you know, let's just say 
18 to 20 minutes to 24 minutes per game. And right. you're going to, if you don't win draws, you know, and you're an attacker, you're going to be, in other words, you're just not going to get that many chances to do stuff. No, right? and also you can't do anything from the sidelines. So stay healthy. That's what we mean. Like, don't overdo it. Don't put yourself in a position that you can't play in that tournament game because then you're not even giving your chance to get seen. So these are just little things you need to stay healthy, stay in it. Don't get, you know, overloaded with lacrosse that you don't even want to be doing it by the end of the summer. <laughs> I mean, I, I walked that walk um, with Lucy and a bunch of the girls that we went up to. We spent a month up in Canada pretty much just – hanging out and playing pickup games and box lacrosse. And we only, we really only did two tournaments in the month of June in your one showcase. Right. That was all we did in the month of June, but you know what? Those girls got better. Yeah. Um, and I think that was kind of along the lines of how you should be planning it because there's nothing to talk about if you're not good enough. So you might, you got to worry about that. For sure. I mean, I think I get so many questions on like, should I be doing this showcase and this showcase and this team and that team? I'm like, they can all help if you're putting yourself in the perfect position to be better, to be the best when you go to them. So like, there's so much that comes in that day to day or from right now, February, what is it? 26th, 27th until June, first June event, you have so many days to get better. So if you just keep thinking ahead, when am I going to commit? When am I going to do this? you're just missing out on so many opportunities just to get better. For sure. And there's a lot of ways you can get better. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was really interesting later on in this, we're going to hear Katrina talk about using imagination yep. you know, when you're doing some of the mundane things like, you know, dodging by yourself or wall ball. As you know, I'm a huge believer in playing these pickup games because there you don't actually have to use your imagination. You are going against somebody that's going to give you a look. But, but the bottom line is, is that you, you really want to be thoughtful about it. And if you have questions, don't hesitate to reach out to us. I'm sure Colleen and I would be, both be happy. And, and that leads us into this next uh, segue into, we really want to have a mailbag segment. So if people have questions, email Colleen at Colleen at big4lax.com with Colleen with two L's and two E's. And then, or email me at jmonroe at jm3sports.com. And that's J-M-U-N-R-O at jm3sports. We'd love to hear your questions and we'll try to answer them. Uh, but we'll definitely get back to you either way. Yep. Um, okay, so we are really excited to um, introduce Katrina Dowd, Associate Head Coach and Offensive Coordinator at UNC to the show. Um, and Colleen, uh, before she comes on, uh, tell us a little bit about your history with with Trixie. Um, she is a one-of-a-kind player and an awesome coach. Yes, Trix was a year above me at Northwestern, so I had three years with her. Um, three great years. She's just an unbelievable player. She's fun to watch. She's fun to go against. I always would try and cover her at practice because she would challenge me. And um, She's just a tireless worker, very competitive, and an even better person. So I'm happy to have her on the show. How's it going, everybody? Really excited to welcome Katrina Dowd to the Inside the Eight podcast. Katrina is the associate head coach and offensive coordinator for UNC. They're coming off a huge win over Maryland, and we're really excited to have Katrina on the show. How are you doing, Katrina? I'm great. Um, big weekend this, this past weekend, big win for the team, and um, yeah, feeling pretty good and getting ready for another uh, showdown this Saturday. 
Nice. Welcome, Trix. Glad to have you. Um, just wanted to kind of really touch upon this big weekend you guys just had against Maryland. Um, offensively, you guys were awesome. Fun to watch. Amazing from behind, um, which I assume is your bread and butter and what you've been working on with these girls for a while. Let's touch upon kind of your game plan going into this weekend. What were some big things that you were pumped about that the girls executed on, especially Scotty had an amazing game? Yeah, we um, we knew this was going to be – it's a rivalry game. It's always a, you know, a marquee game um, for us. Um, you know, we've been able to see him in the regular season, and then we've seen him a lot in the postseason. You know, Coach is my sixth season here, so I've seen Maryland a lot. So it's always, um, it's always such a big game. It's always intense. So um, in terms of motivation, I think the girls are very motivated. Without me or, you know, the coaches having to – um, extra motivate them. So I loved where our group was and, and how motivated and focused they were. Um, the biggest thing for us coming in, we had played three games and we saw three zone defenses. Um, and so it's a big transition going from, you know, playing zone offense to, um, you know, a, a woman to woman off, uh, you know, defense going against them. So that was our big focus of the week of being able to, um, adjust and prepare um, for something we hadn't seen on our game days yet. Um, I think I, we have incredible attackers, incredible um, individual dodgers. So we worked a lot all week on just dodging. I think Scotty is one of those special players that really um, her game is um, really dodging, being sneaky, setting up her players. She also has such range with her stick work. So just all week uh, we were working on making that adjustment for our first game where we had to play um play that type of offense that's awesome and then i specifically noticed your off ball movement was like perfect everyone was giving each other space so those dodges were so open was that something you guys emphasized all week at practice as well yeah i mean off ball and i mean something we say is you know we got to get inches for each other you know so even if you're dummy dodging or you're setting up a dodge that you're not sure you're going to shoot, you know, you're going to actually shoot the ball. Um, everything on ball, off ball has to be gaining inches for each other. So giving your, your teammates, you know, extra room to dodge, um, you're, you're helping us be successful. Um, I'm a big, uh, I'm a, I watch a lot of other sports too. So you watch basketball game or soccer, everybody's moving on the pitch. So I try to get our players to buy into that. Um, no ball watching. Um, not just moving to move, but learning how what you do when you don't have the ball can be super dangerous for the ball carrier and for yourself. So we've been um, talking about it, um, you know, throughout our sevens all week, just adjusting and, and opening up the, the players' eyes of what they can do to, to help our offense get humming and, and be more successful. Um, I will say – you know, I think moving forward, we got to work on, you know, we, that was probably the least amount of assists we had um, in a long time. I think we only maybe had four. So mm -hmm. our off ball play in terms of being, being more dangerous with being a scoring threat, we got to work on that. Um, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So spacing was great, but we got to now work on uh, just having it more of a threat off ball cut in. Perfect. Katrina, when you guys are um, teaching your dodges, can you 
can you share what some of your sort of big picture philosophies are on dodging as well as some of the specific moves um, that you're working on are? Yeah, our bit, you know, a couple of our biggest things is um, in terms of, you know, in our 77 is getting to a space you, you want, you want to attack. Um, whether, you know, against Maryland, we, we had a lot of success at the crease. So making sure we're getting the ball there, we're getting the right players there. Um, always square up. I think, um, you know, taking that second to square up your defender, you also get your head up and you can see is there slides coming, where are they coming from? Um, so that's a, a huge thing for us is, is taking a second to square up, get your head up. Um, I mean, we love, we love a split dodge. So we always, you know, I see a lot of our players will, will try the split dodge. Um, and then we always reattack. So whether there's two that come or the girl just shut down one of your dodges, at least let's, let's go to a roll dodge or a rocker or split back. Um, just trying to make them super confident to, to be able to beat their player and also take advantage of what the defense is doing. It's really, it's really hard to play, play defense. It's really hard to play for five seconds and stop somebody. So having the confidence have a couple moves. Um, I think you saw that with Marissa DeVitro. Her her dodge from behind was a, a double or a triple move, um, almost a finalizer, but just teaching them the confidence um, and also sometimes to, to do a couple of those dummy dodges to set up what you really want. And that's what you saw from number 27 behind. Um, and then getting our hands free and being able to bury the ball. That's awesome. Yeah, it's so hard to cover. I mean, a lot of times kids will make one move and they'll get bumped and then they'll kind of bail and, and it's just that, that lets the defense off the hook. Um, yep, exactly. Question I, a question I have is while you're working on these various redodges and, and you know, you initiate with your split or whatever and you look for rollbacks or, or rockers or kind of Z-dodges, pop-outs, how much deception are you – emphasizing as far as being able to use fakes to both keep the defense, you know, maybe uh, from sliding or making the defense late um, off ball particularly. Yeah, we use, we definitely use a lot. So we, we, in our shooting drills, um, especially if we're, you know, know we're going to have a, we're going to have a one V one game, right? We're not playing against the zone. Um, we do a lot of our, our shooting drills off dodges. Um, and with that, I use, you know, like cones or poles, but I'm, I'm teaching them not only the dodge, but where should your head look? Where do you want your eyes to go to use deception, right? If you, if your head looks away from the goal, maybe that slide doesn't come. Like you just look away for a second, you slow down, maybe that slide, right? That, that defender doesn't think you're dangerous. And now you hit them with an under, right? You go underneath your defender and get to the cage. So we're constantly teaching whether your head, your eyes, um, using your stick in different ways to, you know, I think a lot for us, we see a lot of double teams. We see a lot of slide packages, a lot of slide, you know, show and recover back. So trying to teach our players how to, you know, how to work with that, how to still be dangerous, little subtle things you could do to maybe hold them, um, how to, you know, realize if it's slide and recover, you know, then we dodge, redodge, get her to come, fake a pass or, or kind of jog out of it and now go right away. So we rep that too without any defense, um, not just doing the same, just like catch and shoot shooting girls, but walk them through. Um, my biggest thing that I, I, I always talk to them about is having an imagination while you're training. 
you know, you have to imagine the defenders there. You have to imagine the other team. You have to imagine what a double team. I think that's when you start to see players have swagger and not just practicing it when there is defense, when they're, when we're in sevens, but when we're training, if you can imagine it and pull off all these moves without a single defender out there. And when I watch you, I, I know exactly what you're doing. I know how you, what you were thinking. That's when we're reaching that optimal level of, of performance, of confidence, of swagger. Um, so that's something I always tell them to have an imagination when we're training. I love that. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I do lessons all the time and it's so funny. I'm always like, all right, well now another defender slid. Now you have to like, roll back or hesitate and go again. And I feel like my imagination is yeah. and I just hope my players is doing the same. Yeah, um, it's, it's something, it's, it's constant reminders for them of keep, keep having, keep being like that present, keep, you know, envision them, vision them, you know, that, that defense out there. Right. And now going off of imagination, obviously you're a very tricky player. What, kind of trick shots have you been incorporating with your attackers or you yourself lately? Anything that you've been working on or trying to perfect? Um, I mean, one, uh, I'm like, how much do I want to say here, right? The long <laughs> season. We got, yeah, you can even the girls haven't pulled everything up. Um, you know, I think I, I, I love this, this, you know, I, I, played college 10 years ago. So this generation, I mean, you're seeing behind the back every single game from every type of, of level of lacrosse. So that is awesome to see. I, I don't always see that as a, a tricky shot. I see it as um, just a better op shooting opportunity. Um, right. So I love seeing that. We got a, um, a couple of things we're, we're working on, um, hopefully to pull out in a game. Um, I just think more, just, just never, if you're at a certain place on the field, right? If you're in that eight meter, you can shoot. So always trying to teach them, show them all different ways that we can shoot. Right. Um, I think knowing where you are on the field, where the cage is on the field. And if you're in one of those places that we've determined, you can shoot, find different ways, whether it's backhand or BTB or between your legs, um, you know, I just try to tell them if this area, no matter if your back's to the cage or obviously we, we don't want to be dangerous in any, in any way. We want to be aware of where the defenders are, but I think that's the simplest way to start getting them be creative is giving them the confidence that the shot has to get off in this area, know where the goal is, know which way your body's moving, like where would the ball, you know, making sure it's getting on net. Um, and then just allowing them to, to fail. Um, I've seen a lot of high to high shots get saved. I've seen a lot of high to low shots, a lot of low shots get saved. So I, I'm okay when I see a trick shot get saved. Um, right. It's all good. Right. Yeah. Well then bringing it back to just standard fundamentals, what's your like go-to favorite shooting drill that you just love to just do every single time you get out there or you're at least doing it once a week with your girls to get them a lot of reps and get that confidence. Um, I mean, a lot of our stuff's really, really fundamental. Um, mm -hmm. I've been experimenting with a few, um, I, I kind of created this new drill off of a soccer drill, mm -hmm. um, that I'm really into. I probably should post it somewhere. Um, we put four players out on the field 
um, all the players have a ball. So there's a girl taking an eight meter. There's a player behind, and then there's two players on the wing. And this is going to be very hard to um, talk about, but I'll just give you a little, <laughs> little quick taste. So we start, blow the whistle, girl takes an eight meter. I, you know, that's something the goal of ours is to be very dangerous on the eight meter. Um, so we start with the girl takes an eight meter. Um, one of the girls on the wing rolls the ball up. While she's rolling the ball up, the girl who um, has the other ball is dodging down the alley and then feeding the girl who rolled the ball up. Oh, wow. Right? So yeah. she rolls it up, and then she looks like a backdoor cut from the wing. The girl dodges, and then on the dodge is hitting the, that player. The girl who took the eight meter is going to get that ground ball. She now picks it up and hits the girl who fed. Okay. So all of this is happening, but they want to play fast, quick to get in the good areas. It's not rant. You have to be in the right. You have to play fast to reset yourself. And then the girl who's behind is doing a finalizer move, which you mm -hmm. saw, but then she's feeding the original eight meter girl. Or I could change it that she's, that she's, so it's, I got to show you on film, but it's something I just thought of, of getting yeah. different types of things. It's actually based off kind of a soccer crossing finishing drill. Yeah, um, that's something I would say. I, I go to a lot of different sports to make it into lacrosse. Um, I love being on the field. So when I'm in the office, <laughs> I try to pretend I'm on the field and just research all different drills um, and to, to put it in. So I'll, I'll try to post that on Instagram or somewhere. But that's a new drill that um, I know our players love and we get a lot out of and we get four people just, you know, that off ball movement that you're talking about. Everyone's moving. You kind of got to think ahead. Yeah, and you got to know the drill. There's a lot going on, and it's pretty fun once it gets going. It's it's pretty cool. I love it because there's four people involved. I just don't like shooting drills when people are standing in line or, or waiting for the next person to go. Yeah. So it's, it's a shooting drill, but activating others. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And then you can, the same concept, you can, we switch it. We come off of a flip. So we pick up the ground ball, and now we're coming off of a flip. Okay. We, we can switch all the, the con, you know, whatever your team needs, mm -hmm. you can switch the concepts always, but it's, it's four people involved, balls are going all over, and it's, it's kind of, you know, you can, you yeah. can change it up for your team needs to work on. That's great. Thank you. Hey, Katrina, tell um, everybody uh, what a finalizer is in case people on this uh, podcast don't know. Um, from behind so how I know it, um, I'm not Ryan Powell, who I think is, is always, I kind of look to for, for who kind of is great at it, um, which is the middle Powell. Um, yeah. It's a, from, from the crease, it's a split to a roll to then um, pulling your stick under the defense. So you end up squared to your defender and then you pull your stick, you know, you know you're staring at Adam, you pull your stick under their, their, um, their stick and then you drive and, and score a quick um, goal on the crease. So a split dive. I think the key, it's very hard. Yep. So I go, yeah, split, roll, square up, pull under. Got it. Split dodge, roll do. back, and essentially a cutback. I've seen some um, uh, finalizers done with swim moves too, particularly on the wing. Split down the wing, roll back top side, and then swim right over. But I don't know how many swim moves we're seeing in women's lacrosse, but if anybody could do it, you could, Katrina. Have you, have you got any swim moves going on? <laughs> I do not. I don't think my height, I think, uh, I, 
I've seen swim moves get called against. Um, oh yeah. The offensive player a lot. Yes, I have actually. For what? I've seen it quite a bit. They think, I think if they think your, you know, your stick is entering the other that defender's sphere too closely. Huh. Oh. Do you remember? You know, depending, right? Do you remember Does that the sense? So I think. When Hannah did it, though, like, when, remember when we were playing? She did it while oh, my the girl was diving for the ground ball, and Hannah swam right over her behind the net. Yeah, the most beautiful lacrosse play <laughs> yeah. almost ever. But anything <laughs> Hannah Nielsen does is beautiful. <laughs> like, what an amazing lacrosse player. But, yeah, look that up. That was, uh, was a good one. That. that 2009? I don't know. It, it might be tied to your goal. Internet. It's probably tied to your goal when we – when we uh, tie it up against Penn and go to the national championship there. It's a pretty good one. Glory days. Glory days. Glory days. Katrina, I was watching some uh, WPLL games last year. Maybe it was a championship game. And um, the way you play is a lot like the way box across players play. And you, you, you have a low cradle very often um, with two hands as opposed to the classic vertical cradle at all times in women's across, you leverage this low cradle and then you mix in windups and drags to go along with your, your carries. And I just wanted you to talk a little bit about how you learned that and kind of why you play that way. Um, I think I, I probably started to develop that a little bit at, um, Northwestern with their coaching and, and the amount of skill work we did. Um, I think I'm a, a smaller player. And then I think I try to make myself even smaller. I think sometimes it's hard to, um, you know, defend and really body somebody up because we can't, you know, you can't get close to my head or my neck with your cross checks. Um, right. I, I think it's just an extension. Some of that stuff I'm doing is an extension of all that stick work we practice. Um, all those little fakes, you know, you know, if I shot fake, it's going to, you know, the other defenders are going to react. So maybe you react and then my own teammate slips, you know, it's all about getting an inch for, to score a goal, right? You got to do everything you can to get a little, a little something to get the goal even easier. Um, I think I'm a very one V one player. So I always like to square up. So then when you square up, you got to protect the stick. So I like to shorten up my, you know, I put my hand all the way up top and then mm -hmm. tilt it back. So it's not an easy check. Um, I think, I think not a lot of players square up. They play a lot with their shoulder. So I guess that would allow you to have a higher, you know, a vertical cradle. Maybe I haven't really thought about it. It's a good question, but I think I square up so much probably coming from basketball. I feel like, you know, you could put a basketball in my hand and I'm in the exact position like of a point guard, you know, cool. squared up to their player. The ball's a tiny bit behind your shoulder because you don't want to get it. And then you can do a crossover. Um, probably comes from a little bit of my basketball background, also being a, a 1v1 player, knowing I got to square up and do a lot of moves. And then, you know, the lower my stick is, the quicker I can switch my hands. Um, but, yeah, I think it's something – I think, like, a Scotty Rose Brownie is doing a lot of that. I think there's, you know, certain players that are starting to adapt that into their game. Um, I did not play box lacrosse. I really wish I did. If there's like an over 30 league, let me know. I'm in. I can, I can travel in the summer. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just my, my style to be able to see the whole field, to be able to attack my player, to protect my stick, and also get off a lot of different feeds and shots. That's awesome. And I think, you know, 
when you you earlier you commented on how you really want your players and all players to realize that when you're in the eight, you should probably be shooting. And it seems like um, that when you sort of put those two things together of learning how to square up your defender, but also knowing that you can almost always get into the eight, you know, you don't have to get in there as fast as everybody else, but once you get in there, you can get shots off. It seems like a really great combination. Yeah, and I think that's why you're you're starting to see some box concepts because they, you know, they are always, you know, that their game is a smaller field and they're closer to their their goal. That their creativity is is where, you know, we watch a lot of people watch box lacrosse to get that creativity, get the two man game, get off ball play, because they're so dangerous. They can they use all different ways to get shots on net that. Um, trying to bring that concept with our team. If you're going to play, if we're going to play against a low pressure or a team that's on the eight, like you said, you don't need to, you know, run as fast as you can by them, but you need to, you know, realize once you're in that good positioning, you got to all the practice and all the information and all the knowledge you've been given. There's, you probably have two, three different types of shots you could get off, whether it's a, you know, a step back, low to low rip, a BTB, switch your hands question mark like there's you know so much when you're a skill coach or you know really I, I believe in teaching as many skills as possible um, it's fun to watch your team then on game day you know perform and really just put skills to test um, against these defenses so cool awesome well good luck with your next coming practices and big game against UVA this weekend I just had one final question kind of your biggest piece of advice for those high school girls that are listening to this podcast that are you know, trying to play at the next level what would you you know what's your advice for them to be working on and be doing to get to the next level right now um individually it's all working on that skill um and then having an imagination take um you know take the next step from wall ball which is which is good for reps um, I don't know how much your imagination is running when you're doing wall ball, right? So take that next step and, and take, you know, take your individual training to a field. And like I said, start to imagine certain things. Um, you know, imagine being your favorite player that you've watched. I know that a lot of kids growing up always pictured being a basketball player or, you know, when, they were, when you're playing as a little kid, do that for lacrosse as well. Um, work on all little skills. Um, and the second piece of advice, um, you know, I try to win a state championship for your team. I think that's um, – I, I was lucky enough to win one my senior year, um, and it's one of the coolest, most important, fondest memories of my lacrosse career. So, um, And we hadn't won it since, you know, over 10 years, um, but we just committed to it, and as a team we were able to win it. And I think a lot of players need to hear that too, like go – try to win a state championship with your hometown um, friends. Pretty cool. That's awesome. Great. Jamie, you got any more questions? No, I'm good. Katrina, I love talking lacrosse with you, listening to you talk about lacrosse. I love watching you play and uh, love watching team play. So good luck this year. And hopefully we'll, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to hit you up on the uh, box across the summer too. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you guys for doing this. I think it's, it's really cool, and I know a lot of people are paying attention into listening to you guys, so thanks a lot. Awesome. Good luck, Strix.
Good to see you. Good to talk to you. All right. Okay. Yeah. Bye, guys.